This is the Senior Living Truth Series podcast, where we have candid conversations about complex issues facing today's mature adults. No sales pitch, only the truth. I'm Dr. Nikki Buckaloo. Welcome to the show. Welcome. How's everybody besides wind blow? Good? All right. The weather's getting warmer. The sun is out. The days are getting a little longer. That's good. All right. You ready to start? I like to start on time. I know some people go to seminars and it's 15, 20 minutes in and they're just getting started. We don't roll that way here. So we like to start on time. We like to get, get you out of here on time for lunch. And uh, so our, we open the doors just so you know at 9.30. Um, you guys are all, all welcome to come at 9.30 if, you, if you're wondering how early is too early. 9.30 is great time. Our sponsors get here a little bit early so that they visit with people if you want to do that as well. And then they're going to hang out afterwards for a little bit as well. How many people in the room, this is your first time here? Look around, good, awesome. Let's give them a hand. We're glad you're here. And uh, I saw most of you uh, stopped off at the sponsor tables on your way in, and I'm so glad you did that. And I don't know if you know this or not, but the reason that these seminars are free for uh, people that consider themselves seniors, whatever that age that is, and their guests, um, the reason it's free is because these guys lovingly underwrite it. So can we appreciate them for that? of doing the Senior Living Truth Series. And we were doing it on the north side, and then we had so many people who said, you know what, Nikki, it's difficult to get to the north side uh, every month, or uh, it's just not feasible, so we started our south location. How many of you are uh, live in South Oklahoma City or more? Raise your hand. Awesome, great. Anybody here from Norman? Wow, okay, excellent. And anybody here from, say, Canadian County, Mustang, Yukon area? A few, okay. Anybody from the other side of town, Midwest City, uh, that direction? Yeah, good. Where you raise your hand, where? Edmond. Oh, from Edmond, that's what I was going to say. Did anybody come from the north side of town? All right, very good. That happens too. So these topics, so those of you who are new, I just want to tell you that uh, these topics are delivered twice a month. Once here in this location, once in the Francis Tuttle location north. So if you happen to miss this one or the date doesn't work for you, uh, make sure to look at your schedule because the north location is usually before this one. Now next month is a little odd because we had some conflicts on dates, so it's a little bit odd compared to every other month. But just kind of look at the schedule, and if you can't, if you think you're not going to make this one, come to the week before usually um, on the north side. My name is Nikki Buckaloo. My husband, Chris, who's going to be presenting with me here a little bit today, are your hosts. And together with uh, a number of our sponsors, uh, we put this together four years ago because what we found is that there's an awful lot of people out there looking for information, and it's not always easy to find. Have you guys found that to be true? Yeah. Or when you go online and you look on the internet, the information is a little bit confusing. Or you don't know if it's advertising or if it's actual information. All right. So our goal for these seminars, including today, is to not try to sell you anything, not try to convince you of anything, not try to make you make a decision about anything, but to hopefully just inform, educate, and empower you so that when you leave here today, you have more to think about 
and you have a little bit more information to base your decisions on. Because I had a, several people in the room today said, I don't plan to move anytime soon. Okay, awesome, that's great. Nobody here expects you to do that. There are people in the room who are probably sitting there thinking, I may be moving sooner than later, which is totally fine too. And there are some people sitting in the room who say, I am never moving, I'm not really sure why I'm here. <laughs> and they probably came with their wife. So we're glad you're here anyway, and we hope that you have, at the very least, um, a, an informative session, and we entertain as well. So we'll be dancing and singing a little bit later in the show. No, I'm just joking. Okay. All right. So we have some slides for you today. Um, we have uh, some handouts as well. I know what happens a lot of times you pick up your sponsorship, uh, sponsor paperwork, and then you come back to your table. What we want you to find at your table is the handout that is stapled that says uh, the truth about selling the family home at the top. And that's going to be your handout for today. We're going to go through a series of slides. And most everything that I'm going to talk about on the slides are on your handout. So you don't have to take such copious notes. Um, oh, and then your eval. So you also have an evaluation form uh, at your table. And that is for you to fill out and turn in when you leave today. We really appreciate your feedback. You don't have to leave your name at the bottom if you don't want to. But you're welcome to, obviously. If you put on there that you want to be pre-registered for next month, we do recommend you put your name and information at the bottom. It's hard for us to pre-register people if they don't put their information on there. So that's just a minor note. All right? Okay. You guys ready to get started? Yes. All right, let's do it. So in your handout, we're going to talk about the top five reasons that people sell a house after retirement. Okay? Once we cover these, then we're going to cover some of the more technical aspects of selling a home in a home city. And Chris is going to come up and help me present that. But what I wanted to do is go through these five reasons that people sell their home after retirement because every answer that we're going to give or every bit of information we're going to give in the next part has to do with what your goal is for selling, right? So if your goal is, for instance, this one, amenities, you're selling your house because the next place has more amenities or better amenities, then your move or your change of residence is going to look a little different than people who are selling for other reasons, right? So people who are looking to sell their house and move into something that has better or different amenities are generally really positive about the move. They're pretty excited about it. Maybe they're building a new home, maybe they're uh, moving into a one level instead of a two level, maybe they're going from an acreage to a small lot, those kinds of things. Or maybe they're moving out of state, maybe they're moving to Florida, like somebody told me their friend, you know, moved to Florida, somebody's moving to a resort community or to a house that they had bought for retirement. So you'll notice that the gray area here, this is what's in the second part of your handout where it says housing options according to reason for sale. Those are the things that when you're selling and you're looking for amenities, these are the types of properties you're looking to move to usually, right? And so, you know, we look at that and we go, okay, most everybody that does that, not everybody, but most everybody is going to pack up everything they have and move it out of their old house into their new house in most cases. 
Okay? And that's not true for the next couple of reasons people move, so we'll talk about that. The key to this one, if you were going to underline anything on that top piece under amenities, is it's a desire to have improved. Desire is the key word. People want to do it. They look forward to doing it. Okay? The second reason is what we call anticipatory or preparatory. Okay? And this is um, probably the client that we deal with most often. These are people who they don't really, not really excited about moving, really. But they're doing it in anticipation of a future need or future changes in their lifestyle. Okay? So they have their outlook on their move is usually a little bit ambivalent, mixed feelings. You know, I, I know I need to do it, but I don't really want to do it, especially if there's a couple. Sometimes the couple, one of the couples says, I really want to do it, and the other part of the couple says, I really don't want to do it, right? You guys know what I mean. And so this is where people are balancing their decision to move with a pragmatic reason versus a emotional reason for doing it or not doing it. So there's a lot of that going on. Now, what happens with an anticipatory or preparatory move, where the person is moving when they sell their home is based on future needs and concerns versus amenities. Now, amenities for fun's sake. Okay, so amenities may be different in this case. So what we found is that people move for this reason are moving into places like a smaller house for sure, almost always, or a smaller lot, smaller lawn, that kind of thing. Get rid of the pool, get rid of the shrubbery, have something more manageable. Independent living, senior community or an apartment, maybe near family or friends. This is where a lot of people opt to lease instead of own. Not always, but people will say, you know what, I just don't want to have to have a house to deal with if something should happen down the road. I'm gonna, I don't want my kids to have to come in and sell a house, so I'm going to lease. Okay? So that's the second type of reason that people sell, is to get something that's for the future purposes. And I always hear people say, when I did my doctoral research, I had a couple of the couples that I interviewed said that they had bought their forever home. And one couple had bought three forever homes <laughs> before they moved to a continuing care retirement community here locally. So that's usually the, that's kind of the goal, is this is my forever home, it's gonna, it's gonna see me through to the end. Majority of people, that it, it, doesn't, because there's usually at least one more type of move that comes, and let's talk about what that might be. So, most of you in this room right now, I would say, I would say all of you, because you're here, if you were going to make a move today, it would be that move, right? Or the amenity-based move. Whoops, wrong direction. I thought I did it. Or the amenity-based move, right? You'd be going, hey, I'm going to go build a big house, buy a big house, buy a smaller house, buy a nicer house, buy a resort, or downsize and scale back. I'm going to go Main Street in preparation. Okay, can we agree on that? Now, if something were to change, this is the next kind of move that might happen, and this is not as fun of a move for most people. Um, it's based on current care needs, and what happens is whatever's going on in someone's life, and it may not even be them, it may be their spouse or someone else that they're caring for, those needs can no longer be managed in the home. And they need to sell the home and move into something more manageable or something that will accommodate that. The outlook for people doing that could either be optimistic or pessimistic. What do you think that's based around? 
their health baby? No? Not recommending this, but it's possible. 
Yeah. Okay, so you're going to hear us say this quite a bit today. Chris, you want to come on up? Um, and it depends is going to be the answer, but you'll hear a lot. But then we'll give you what does it depend upon as best we can. Uh, if it's very specific and you're asking about your specific house, we're going to speak in generalities. And if it's going to require somebody to come out and see your house, then that's just what it is, all right? So everybody, Chris Bacalou, my husband. By the way, I like living here. He likes living here. All right, we have to stand apart, I think, because that's Maybe a little bit. That's some feedback, yeah. All right. So, uh, yeah, he likes the piano. Uh, he wouldn't like it if I was trying to hang it over our oven. Oh, I wouldn't say it my house, okay. but I do like the piano. Yeah. Got it. Okay, so let's start on uh, the first, uh, first thing on your hand out there under the topic, A Few Truths About People. Um, Connie, would you grab Amy? She's in the, the office right there, and let her know that we've got quite a bit of feedback, and she can adjust that. Straight forward back there. Thank you. Okay, so we'll get that taken care of. So under a few truths about people selling a long-time home. These are just a few truths that we know, and we're going to share with you, and then we're going to get into the house itself. So the first thing is no move is ever easy, right? The home sale, by the way, is usually the easiest part. It's the one people have a tendency sometimes to stress over, and I go, you know what, once we've done everything else, the move and all that, the house is the easy part for us. Um, most real estate agents will tell you that. Uh, the more informed you are, the more healthy you are, and the more uh, capable, physically capable you are, the easier and less stressful this overall process will be. The house is, selling a house is very process-oriented, so it's pretty much cut and dry how it works, especially because of the state laws, and in using the state contract, it's kind of like step by step by step by step. Now, don't get me wrong, there's hurdles and things that can come about that can cause you some issues, but for the most part, it's the easiest thing to deal with. For us. Yeah. I'm not saying that would be for you, but I'm saying for us, yeah. So the second truth is that no two people are the same. Um, while people may deal with similar issues, everyone is unique. And the one thing that I hear people say a lot is they apologize, they feel bad for being emotional about selling their house that they've lived in for 40 or 50 or 60 years. And so I'm here to say it's okay to have some emotion around this move. For some people, they may be moving out of a neighborhood that they were the first ones in, and that's where all their friends were. It's where their social events happened. It's where their kids were raised. For some people, it may be bittersweet because their best friend lives next door. And, and we expect that emotion. We do. We would be yeah. surprised if you didn't have that emotion yeah. about that house. Women are far more emotional about that than men. Uh, men have a tendency to see memories as being transient. The memories don't stay at the house. We take those with us. Women associate the house and the memories as a physical, tangible object. So men in the room, I know you don't get it, you don't understand that about your spouse, but that's just what it is. That's how our brains are a little bit different. Not a good or bad thing, just understanding where people are coming from, okay? Couple of other truths. Um, those making decisions for themselves have a far easier time adjusting than those who are not. And we see this in the needs-based and the crisis-based moves a lot. When you get to the have-to part, it's definitely a lot more challenging because it's not something you're saying, hey, I'm excited about what's next. You're like being drugged with what's next. And it's not any fun. I have never heard someone say, I'm so excited about moving to the nursing home. 
Can y'all, has anybody ever heard, have you ever heard of this? You've never heard this. I'm so excited they're moving to the nursing home. Yeah. That's different. That's, that's different. That's a yeah. lot different. I have heard people say, I can't wait to get to the mansions. I can't wait to get to Village Oak Park. I can't wait to get to Whispering Creek, Concordia, Spanish Cove. When it's an independent living community where people are active and engaged and they see that life is looking forward still, they get excited about that. But very few people, if any, are going to get excited about assisted living, memory care, or long-term care. Well, who gets excited about a choice that you're not making that you're having, you're having to make? Exactly. And that's the big difference is you're saying, hey, I'm looking forward to something different, even if it's in preparatory for something different. Yeah. You're looking forward to the change and in spite of the fact that you are moving away from something you've got great memories with and a long history with. So the other one is wives and husbands. This is just the truth. And this is what maybe that I'm real, I get real excited about this topic because that's what my dissertation was on with my doctorate. And in talking to husbands and wives, I really learned a lot. And I don't know if it made my marriage better or not. I think it did. Right? Let's go with yes. Almost 25 years. So I at least now understand why he's so weird. I get it now. Um, so husbands and wives. So a lot of times wives are ready to move much earlier than husbands. And husbands have a tendency to hold out to the very end. But when they're ready, by golly, they're ready. And we're going to do it quickly. And it was their idea, by the way. Just saying. And that's okay. We just have to let it be their idea. Well, generationally, it's part of it. You and I, I'll be ready to go long before you. That may be true. It, so here's here's what we know, though, about husbands and wives. And, and I make jokes about it, but there's a truth to this, right? It's not just uh, it's not just me just making light of this. But here's the thing about it: is what happens many times is husbands retire, and in, in uh, some of the generations, they're the wives were stay-at-home moms, and the wives maybe retire much earlier, okay? Men came home, and all of a sudden, they disrupted the household. Your whole routine was screwed up, wasn't it, ladies, right? And you're still working. You're still cleaning, cooking, taking care of the household, managing appointments. You're the social director of the household, all those things. And men come home, and they go, I've worked my whole life. I'm sitting in this chair, and I'm not getting out of it. Now, that's not true of all, and so if that's not you, please don't take offense. But as a general rule, my father-in-law is sitting out there, and I love him to death, is one of those men. And Wanda, Chris's mom, would move in a heartbeat so that she didn't have to deal with the house cleaning and the cooking and the laundry and all that stuff. But he well, wasn't going anywhere. And there's also the, the home maintenance that the... the someone's supposed to be managing and at some point they go well i don't even want to manage that because i'm retired but the fact is that someone's got to do it to fall back to whoever will. just because you're retired guys doesn't mean you still don't have to have some light bulb change every once in a while right okay so not to give you a hard time but to say if husbands and wives can get on the same page and make a move together then it doesn't feel so painful if one or the other has to make a move. You guys get that? Well, the interesting part we've run into is that we've got spouses that that one is deceased and the one making the move is saying, I wish we would have done it together. I don't know how often. I mean, every time. Every time we hear that, and it's just they never had that, that opportunity to do it together. When you make decisions, your whole entire marriage together, and then now it's just you, whether it's one or the other, it doesn't matter which, it's much more difficult. Here's the next one. Uh, when there are memory impairment issues, you're better off to go ahead and sell and move before the disease progresses. 
people, one to three percent of all people who will have enough memory impairment that they will require some sort of care. Now, I know it seems like more than that because you hear about it all the time. But if it happens to be you or your spouse or loved one, well, here's what happens. People say, oh, we've got a memory impairment issue. We've got it diagnosed. It's early stages of X, whatever X is. And they go, we're not going to move yet. Nobody's going to move yet. And then what they do is they wait until they have to move. And guess what? It's harder. Well, sometimes they wait until after they have to move. And you've got the caretaker who is exhausted and who is really running themselves down, trying to stay, and not they, to upset. The other person. And they also a lot of times want that person to be able to make decisions with them. I saw it recently, honey. They've what do you want to take? They've done it for 50 they, years. They've done it for 50 years, and now he or she can't understand why the spouse with memory impairment can't make decisions about which China to take or not take. Well, they don't have the ability anymore to do that, and now we're asking them at a time in their life when reasoning is most difficult to make decisions about where they're going to live, when they're going to move, and what they're going to take or leave behind. It's not fair to them. So here's what I'm saying to you. If you have a loved one or you yourself are beginning to have some memory impairment issues that are going to be progressive, if the physician thinks they're going to be progressive, then you need to start thinking sooner than later. Okay? That's all I'm going to say. Just think sooner than later. Okay? Well, your thought is, is I want to destroy and stay this as long as I can. And the problem is, is you stay too long and you're no longer functioning to partake with your spouse to make that change. And the house begins to get run down because nobody has time to manage it either. Right. Okay, so now the house. Let's talk about the house itself. The market establishes the value of a home. Real estate people, as much as we like to think we're really smart, our job is to interpret the market, analyze it, and report it to you. We don't actually get to dictate or influence what your house is worth. Did you guys know that? You can talk to five real estate agents about your house, and you may get five different opinions about price, all based on the same statistics. And then maybe similar ballpark. So you've got a ballpark to work in, or you may have one really, really high or really, really low. And so here's the thing. If, they, if, the, if realtors are bringing you the same statistics, it's your responsibility to ask yourself, how are they analyzing them, and do I agree? Okay? Because here's the deal. There are only so many things that matter talk about what some of those are. So this is one. Uh, not all homes appreciate at the same rate. If you purchase a house in the peak of the market and then you go to sell it and the market has adjusted, either flattened out or gone down, then it's possible that you may not have had appreciation on that house. Do you guys get that? You know, and, there's lots of coastal places that would love to have that theory work out really well. Yeah, right. But in 07, 08, it changed a lot. And you had coastal areas, I and mean, at the time you lived in Florida, you had over a three-year period, you had houses drop 50, 60, 80, 65% of value of what it was a few years prior. But in Oklahoma, people just assume that their house is appreciated year after year after year after year. Now, what happens is houses in your area may have appreciated, but guess what? If you have done nothing to improve your house, that doesn't mean that you get to share in the same rate of appreciation as a house that has been totally remodeled. Does that make sense? 
Okay, so just say it. Repeat that. Uh, you heard me. You heard me. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I had somebody the other day tell me, "Oh, houses in my neighborhood are selling for this price," and I said, "Yeah." I said they are if they have brand new countertops, brand new floors, brand new paint, brand new fixtures, brand new light fixtures, etc., etc., etc. The person was like, "Oh." Well, that, nobody told me that part, right? That, Zillow didn't tell you that. So they, they come in and they tell you the highs of the wonderful parts of your neighborhood, but they don't explain to you how that got there. Right, yeah. So this is, this is really a truth that I need everybody to pay attention to. And this is market trends dictate what will need to be done or not need to be done to your house to maximize your value. And so some people go, okay, we're going to sell our house five or ten years out. What should we do right now to improve the value? Well, the answer to that question is what? We don't know. Because you're not going to sell it for five to ten years. So what's current today, which is gray, by the way, everything's gray. Hey, it may start to change. It's starting to change a, a little. little. We don't know. But guess what? It could go back to earth tones. And if I told you today you're going to paint your whole house gray, put gray tile in, gray backsplashes and gray everything and silver fixtures, and then in five years it's switching back the other way, are you going to be mad at me? Yes. So we don't give advice about how to maximize value if you're not selling your house in a period of time that we can If you're not selling it in the next 30, 60, 90, 6 months, it's probably not worth making the improvements for the improved price. Why would you make the improvements then? It's about you. Yeah, you So want what do you want? Do you want the new appliances? Do you want the different color and paint the walls? Do you want the study redone? Whatever it is. Yeah. And in those things we tell you, it's about you for your enjoyment. Now understand that just because you do it today does not necessarily mean it adds value in the end when you do sell. I had somebody tell me a while back, we have a brand new carpet. We have a brand new carpet. And I said, it's beautiful. Like, when did you replace it? Oh, honey, what was it? Six years ago? Six years ago is not brand new carpet. Here's what qualifies as brand new carpet. You put the carpet in and nobody lived there. Brand new. Well, they put it in six years ago, but it was blue sculpture. And that's not even close to what the trends are today. So, and, and it's good to enjoy what you love, but at the same point, it's still not going to be dated. We run into a lot of houses that are built, which I think is the next one. You want to go to the next yeah. one? Yeah. Yeah. Custom homes may have many upgrades, even new homes, right? But can still sometimes be personalized so much that the upgrade is actually detrimental to the resale value. So things like custom paint, custom cabinets, custom floors, custom appliances, things that people really love and want for themselves, but the next person goes, well, that's odd, right? And it is odd for them because it was custom for you. Make sense, right? So, so the question is, how long does it take for you uh, to look at a trend and go, you know, I really kind of like that? Generally, what we see is it takes five, seven to eight years for, I'm gonna say me, to adopt. to adopt a trend. And that's pretty typical for the crowd we work with. So what happens is you build a custom built house, you do all these new things, it's all new, 
but you're doing it based on trends that you've grown to like over the last five, seven, eight years. So you did that 10 years ago. We go to sell the house now, 10 current day. So your trends are actually not 10 years old. They're 17 years old, 18 years old. And it's, it's a considered an outdated decor for what we're looking at. So when you walk into the house and you go, but I've done all of this custom work 10 years ago based on trends that were already older. And so as much as you do that, it's for your enjoyment. It's for your pleasure. We call it a sunk cost. We're, we're, saying don't, we're not saying don't do it. We're saying do it for you because it's for you. Understand your house is for you. Your house is not necessarily the best investment model to grow wealth. However, statistically, it is. But for your enjoyment, do it the way you want. So if you're not going to sell for a period of a few years, don't ask us what you need to do today to well, make your home work more. A perfect example. You guys have all talked to Naomi or have gotten a message from Naomi. They had a flood. They had a water pipe break. And they went in to redo things. And she calls me and goes, what do I put in? I said, are you selling it next week? She says, no, it's going to be years. I said, put in what you want. <laughs> because it's not going to be relevant when you go to sell. Exactly. And that's the thing. When things like that happen, do what you enjoy and what may, brings you joy and not what's about the market. And then don't be offended if we tell you that the, the carpet color you chose is not going to help sell the house. It's okay, right? Because I'll tell you what sells houses right now is boring. Boring. Hold on here. What sold houses has always been boring? It's always Earth boring. Earth tones, right. like beiges, yeah. real, real turf beige yeah. at one point in time. Well, well here's what does sell houses. Can I show my pictures? Oh, yeah. So these are real pictures from the MLS. And, you know, and for the person who did this, it was what they wanted. And they probably spent a lot of money doing it. But it is not going to necessarily make the value of the home more. Okay? Mural on the wall. When you take that bed and that little uh, chest out of the room, is that going to be an additional feature that everybody's going to want? No. The good news is it's just paint. What about that one? <laughs> How many of you like to work out in the woods? Or well, relax. I'm, I'm, I'm a beach just... person, right? <laughs> so this would work for me. It doesn't make it that it's perfect for them, but somebody's going to paint over that, right? And then here's some chandeliers and some drapes. I'm going to say, ladies, your drapes that you had, you picked out the fabric, had it shipped over from Italy and spent thousands of dollars having custom, custom made. Custom made. Take them with you. <laughs> because nobody's going to want them because they are yours. They, they match your style. They match your stuff. They match your vision of who you are. They don't necessarily match anybody else's. And, and that's buyer's day one. Yeah. They move into your house. Those are the first things to come down if we haven't taken them down already. We normally take them down for pictures. Okay? Because once you take the stuff out of the room, they look odd. Right? Guys, generator. So ching, I got one that's How much do those cost to put in these days? Eight to ten thousand dollars. Your oh, buyer will love you. Your buyer will love it. They are not going to pay eight to ten thousand dollars more for your house because of it. You guys get that, right? And if I was looking at houses, that'd be a big perk. Yeah. But there's no value to pay more for it. 
So same way with storm cellars, safe rooms, uh, water filtration systems. If you build a shop out back with extra, you know, two-car garage shop, Building, yeah. you may get a, a little bit, but not anywhere. Ten percent of what you did to build it. Yeah. So it's not you're not going to get what you paid for it. But if someone's sitting two houses side by side and they're saying they're similarly priced, the features are similar, but this one has a generator or this one has a shop and the other one doesn't, then you're probably going to win out, right? But it doesn't mean they're going to pay significantly more for it because of those features. And, and we've had clients literally line out all their upgrades and how much they spent. They spent $50,000 on all these upgrades. And I look at them and go, you know, that's absolutely fabulous. Did you enjoy it? And were you happy you had it? And if the answer to that is yes, then I said, that was your $50,000 value. Because when you turn around and look at the buyer, they're going to look at that and go, does it have windows, does it have heat and air, does it have, is it all working? It doesn't have to be even new, but is it working and providing what they do? We had one client, which I love dearly, who uh, was very proud of the fact that he built two by six exterior walls for additional insulation to keep his utilities down. And it was very important that we tell everybody that. And I said, that's great, we're happy to tell them, but it's not going to necessarily Matter. It's not going to matter. Unless you have another person who has that same value system, which they're slim, they usually don't care. Same way with heating and air conditioning unit. You may go with the biggest and the greatest and the grandest, but all the buyer wants to know is, does it have air conditioning and does it work? Okay? So if you're thinking about selling your house in the next few years and you have to replace your heating and air conditioning unit, ask yourself, am I doing this for me? Or am I doing this for an investment? Because if you list out on your items for us to tell the buyer about that you spent 10 times more on this heating and air unit than you had to, the buyer's going to go, well, that was dumb. <laughs> but thank you. But thank you. Well, and, and you see we, what I'm saying? And we have that same thing. I, I, I follow that same track. I want the best. I want the best of whatever we're buying. And at the same point, I've got to look at that and go, is there a return on what I'm doing? Well, can I save money on my utilities? Yes. Will it offset over time some of my expense? Yes. Will I get anything on a five-year-old heat and air system that's the top of the line, 18 sear, literally has variable speed, all the things you could possibly do, zone, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't. So one thing, though, we should have conceded on, I should have let him go ahead and buy the more expensive refrigerator that doesn't spit ice out on the floor three hours after you got ice in your car. Should have done that. I tried to stop. Should have done that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. So let's keep going. Location still matters. Condition, size, layout, appearance, amenities are still factors in determining the value of the home. You have to also factor in inventory that's available in your market. Here are the things that don't matter emotional attachment to your home that you may have or the mortgage balance you have are not relevant in terms of what the home's value is. So or the amount of money you need to net to do what you want to do. I, I have heard it so many times and I just it makes me crazy when people say, well, I need $100,000 out of this house to go buy my next house. Great. That has no bearing 
whatsoever on what you're going to get out of your house. That's like me saying, well, I really like that new Lexus they have out, and I need $50,000 out of my old 2009 Lexus to be able to buy that Lexus. Guess what? There's not a buyer in town that's going to give me that money for that Lexus so that I can go buy this Lexus. You guys get that? They don't care. So if you have mortgage balance, you, you're dealing with what you're dealing with. There's nothing we can do about that. You're still going to have to pay that mortgage off with whatever you get out so, of that. So the words I use when talking to clients is to look at that and say, well, I've got to have a price at X to make what I want to get to where I need to go. And I, the market won't bear that. I look at them and I said, that's great. You're the best buyer for your house. So congratulations, you're there. But it's kind of like going to an auction and you sit, keep bidding it up and bidding it up and bidding it up because you want more. And at the end, you bought your house. That's congratulations. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. And if that's where you want to stay, that's perfect. But if you're looking at making a change or a transition, then probably not the best use of your time, energy, and effort. So, the internet has changed how real estate sales are conducted. It's just a reality. Technology plays a key role in the marketing of property, how we attract buyers to a property, as well as the transacting of the sale. Technology is key. You no longer stick a sign in the yard that says for sale by owner and have tons of people calling you about that house. If it's not on the internet, chances are, unless somebody lives in that neighborhood, it's not they're not buying. Unless they're an investor. Investors love or sell by owners because they think it's a deal. Okay? We'll talk more about that here in a minute. Well, the good part about that is as a for sale by owner, if you do put your home on the market, if you do put on the internet, as realtors, we say thank you. Because you've now given us our call information and who to call up this house. There are actually classes. I taught classes for two years, uh, several years back, and there'll be a room of 100 agents in the room, and we're teaching them how to call people who have their house for sale by owner. And so the for sale by owner goes, oh, it's the day. We're going to sell our house. They put the sign in the yard, and they start getting phone calls, and they're so excited. Well, not so much. Until they realize that every call they got that day was a real estate agent asking when they were going to sell their house. Okay, so I'm just saying, I'm preparing you. I'm not saying you shouldn't do it. If you choose to sell your house by owner, you need to know that 9 out of 10 calls you get are going to be from real estate agents. Well, unfortunately, one of that, not us. One of that, that. 10 calls is going to be an investor. An investor, yeah. Going to say, oh, you want that much? No, buy. Yeah. Because they're looking for a deal. So, you got to put the information on the internet if you're going to first sell by owner especially, but... Um, so, another truth, the home price and position correctly, positioning is important, so not just pricing, but where it's positioned in the market, within, uh, should sell within a defined period of time. We know statistically about how long a house will take to sell in any given neighborhood, if it's a typical neighborhood. If it's a unique property on a large acreage or it's a house that was built in the 20s situated in a neighborhood of houses built in the 80s you know if it's an odd house out then it, it can't we have we have to, there's a little more of a science and a guessing game to it but if or more of a guessing game than a science if it's a typical house in a typical neighborhood it's a science it's statistically if you price it between this and this it's going to sell in this period of time within some reason and we're going to bring you those numbers and show them to you and say, okay, here's an anomaly. 
That's oh, really, really high. Or we'll, really, really low. We'll push that out. Really, really low. We'll push that out and go, okay, statistically, here's our range we're looking at with it, out, with it not being skewed by one or the other of those. And what we're looking at is, and this is what the consumer has a hard time with this because we have, you know, the multiple listing service. And so we can pull a report that gives us the parameters we're looking for. A house between, if your house is 1,500 square feet, we're going to look at houses from 1,000 to 2,000 square feet in this area, uh, built in this age range with one car garage or two car garage, whatever you may have. And we're going to ask that report to tell us what are the statistics around that. Then we're going to go in and we're going to look at the numbers, but then we're going to go and look at the pictures that were put on that listing to see how it compares with your house. So if that house had been purchased by somebody and totally remodeled inside and out, and yours hasn't, and that house sold for $100 a square foot, and yours has never been remodeled, we're going to go, okay, what are the houses like yours selling for? And let's say those are selling for $65 a square foot. Then we go, your house is more like this one than this one. But let's say you've done some remodeling, just not all remodeling. Then we go, which houses have sold like that? And we look at when it's sold. Now, let's assume for a second, though, that, that you have three houses that are very similar to yours that have sold in the last year or so. But your house backs up to Penn. And all those other houses were on the interior. Or your house is on a corner lot and all the other ones were not. There are compensating factors, right? And then let's say your house on the outside is painted bright fuchsia. Doesn't that change the perspective of the comparables, yeah? Add that. Well, the other thing I would look at, if you're in a neighborhood in which you are the largest house in the neighborhood, and when I say largest, I mean by more than four, five, six hundred square feet, we're looking at price per, as, as agents, we look at price per square foot. That's kind of the way we do marketing. Appraisers, on the other hand, look at price, sold price by range. So if you're the largest house in the neighborhood, you're not going to get the same price per square foot as the smallest house in the neighborhood. So if you go in and go, I'm going to price mine the smallest, which is $100 a foot, and the largest are only getting 70, your, your appraisal is going to come in and we're going to get bid on the other side of it when the buyer goes to get a loan and they come back and go, well, your house appraised $25,000 under because he couldn't find any like kind of houses of your size. So you had to adjust up to your size, and you don't get full value for adjusting up. It's much better to be the smaller house in the neighborhood than the larger house in the neighborhood. When we when we have buyers that are looking at properties and they, they think they're going to sell, you know, they're not going to be there forever. They're, they've got a family they're raising or whatever, and they go into a neighborhood and they want to buy the biggest house. We're like, okay, you just need to know, though, that if you go in and do all the things in this house that you're talking about doing, fix it up, it's going to be great, and you're going to ask top dollar for it when you get ready to sell it, you need to know that this neighborhood maxes out at X dollars. And if you're okay with that, that's fine. We don't want you to be upset that you can't resell it for what you think yeah, because it, of the size. It doesn't mean I can't sell it for a higher price because we have. Yeah. The buyer just can't borrow money right. to buy it. Yeah. If it's which cash, ends the deal. So the home sale trends in Oklahoma do not necessarily follow the rest of the country.
country. And HGTV is not an accurate portrayal of Oklahoma real estate. And I hate to burst some of your bubbles because I know people love this stuff, but they are all fiction. They are all scripted. They are all people playing parts, and none of that is real. So when they go on there and show how much you can buy a house for on the coast of Florida, please know that they, everything about that is fake. Well, the interesting part, we actually had a friend oh, yeah. explain to us that they went back and recreated a sale that was several years prior. And the numbers were so low because the market had been so that they, everybody thought, well, you can get a great deal there. And the fact is, is it had changed. So they were getting all these calls. They went back and did a, a, an instant replay of several years ago, and it's just not real. Yeah. So we run into these challenges of having to educate people of going, it's not as real as you think. And what they make you think is that your house has to be perfect to sell it. How many of you think that? They, they, they look at it and they go, your house has to have, everything has to be in its place. you got to have a stager. That is not true. It is just not true. You can live in your house and sell it, or you can empty your house and sell it. It does not have to be staged in Oklahoma City. In Dallas, there's certain parts of Dallas that, yeah, people are paying stagers to bring fake furniture in. Real, well, it's real furniture. It's just not theirs. They're bringing furniture it's, it's in. It's rented furniture. Uh, it's rented furniture to make the house look prettier for the pictures. And we just don't see that much here. Maybe you get up in the millions plus, yes, but the average homeowner's not going to need to do that. The cost to do it is cost. Yeah, it's, it's cost is, is expensive in, in normal rentals. Yeah. So higher price points uh, have longer marketing periods in Oklahoma City. Um, if you get over 300, depending on the area, it can take a little longer. Uh, then a house, say a $100,000 house right now can get snapped up because a couple of things. Investors like lower price point houses because they can turn around and rent them out or if they buy them right, they can fix them up and resell them for a profit, okay? Investors don't generally like to go up into the higher price points because it's harder to rent those and they have to hold them longer if they're doing some sort of a redo. So, uh, price point and so yeah it's all about availability yeah, you have more people who can afford lower price and less people who can afford higher price so it's just about their, their pool of people that they're going to be working with whether they're buying for themselves but this is not just a trend here in Oklahoma City we were in Broken Bow this last weekend at a grand opening of a Keller Williams office down there and we were talking to some of the agents who sell lake cabins there and when I say lake cabins we're talking about 600 to 2 million dollar lake cabins um, my family didn't have a cabin like that when I was growing up. Um, we, we stayed in a very nice 4,500 square foot, six beds, six and a half Two bath, hot tubs, yeah. Two hot tubs. But uh, here's, here's what we learned, is that these were being built and they were flying off the shelf before they were even completed, and now they've got a bunch of them sitting. So if you're looking for a cabin in southeastern Oklahoma, now's the time, because they have inventory, and that inventory's not moving as quickly. You see where I'm going with that? So just keep that in mind that on a dime it can change, okay? Especially in the higher price points. If we end up, if we have a bunch of overbuilt houses in those higher price points and Devin lays off a bunch of people or Chesapeake lays off a bunch of people or the market changes in the oil and gas industry, what happens to our housing market? It's slow. It goes a little slow for a while, okay? So photos matter because the internet is the first place people are typically going to view your home. The photos should present the home attractively. 
Mobile phone photos are not the best way to showcase a home. Unfortunately, there are some realtors out there who still do this. Some homeowners obviously still do it. But here's a picture I found on the internet. A real picture by a real realtor who put a house on the internet. And no, I didn't do it incorrectly. That's how it was on the internet. Yeah. Does that portray that bathroom very well? Yeah. This is a bedroom. This is a bedroom of somebody's house. That's two, two Those pictures are two pictures stuck together, yeah. So this is somebody's doll collection. That's somebody's doll sitting at that desk. Is that a picture that is favors that bedroom? No. Right? Not to mention it's terrible as far as the quality. But the thing is that when you're showcasing a house on the internet, it's kind of like a dating app. If you ever hear the kids talk about dating apps lately, they go swipe left or swipe right. Right? Which one's which? I don't know. I don't know. Who swipes left? Anya, which way do you swipe to keep somebody? Oh, she stepped out. Okay. Swipe, swipe, swipe. That's what people do when they're looking at houses. They're going swipe, 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 swipe. Ooh, that's pretty. Or, ooh, that's bizarre. <laughs> right? It catches your attention. Yeah. But pictures matter. Right. Pictures matter. We, we spend about $200, $300 on professional photography when we list a house, no matter the size of the house. Give me a quick example. And, and they're available to all agents out there, yeah. photographers. They do a great job. Uh, we did one. We put two active last week. Sold sold both of them, but literally put an active Thursday, Thursday night, eight o'clock at night. We, we had offers. Called the called the seller the next morning, who we had not told that we'd had an active. And his first response was, "Those pictures look great." I'm like, "You didn't even know it was active." But the, the, the pictures go so fast and everything updates online so quickly. And the, the, the photography is amazing. Yeah. They do a phenomenal job. They have wide-angle lenses. They have the ability to take shadows out. They can make things look brighter than we can. Like in here, the lighting is terrible. I was trying to take pictures of people up here on the stage earlier. And I could not, with my cell phone, could not get a good Well, um, they picture. buy the right cameras that do underexposure, overexposure, and right exposure, and they don't look good. So that's what it should be. In most cases, I'm not going to speak for every real estate agent out there, but in most cases, it's part of your fee that you're paying that realtor to do those photographs. So they're the ones saving the $200 if they're not doing it. You can always offer to do it yourself as well. Okay, so investors and family members are always looking for a deal. Undermine the word family member. Even paying commissions, people will often net more from a sale involving an agent than selling it themselves. I'm not saying that to aggrandize myself or realtors. This is a statistic that has been proven nationally by many, many organizations. Over and over and over and over, over, over again. Because an owner, the person who's buying the house, or trying to buy the house thinks because you're not paying a commission, they should save the commission. They go, oh, I should get the house for 6% less because you're not having to pay a realtor. Well, the seller is the one that wants to save the money, right? But they justify selling the house for less because they're not paying a realtor. Well, they're at a wash at that point, right? So just keep that in mind. Well, I mean, you don't always know the value of your home. I mean, we come in and... Last week, also one of the houses we listed, 
they had tried to sell to four different family members. Yeah, that's what I was going And they had set a, a bottom net to what they wanted to do. Based on what we told them, that it was well, for the most part. For the most part, but they even lowered it lower than that. And also, <laughs> So when we did the sale, I got the comps put together, and I got the counter put together, and I did the net sheet to them, and I said, I think you're going to be happy with the net sheet, and I showed it to them, and it was 10 grand more than selling it to any of those people. And we they, sold it in 24 hours. We sold it in 24 hours, but they also had four family members they went through over a year it sat there. It sat there. So it yeah. cost them another $10,000 utilities, insurance, maintenance, and to sit there. So the overall, they're making back what they lost. By trying to sell it to a family member. Because they wanted the family members to have it. I mean, they really did. And I don't blame them for that. It just ended up costing them a lot. Um, many people are more attached to their personal well, belongings. One more thing. Yeah. On, on the investor side of that statement, investors make their money when they buy. So if you have an investor buying your house, they're making their money right there. They're not making their money over the long term. Because you only make, as an investor, I, I, I buy property, I've got to buy it that day that, that the price makes the most sense to me for the future. Not in hopes and dreams that will be better in the future. So remember that, if an investor's buying, we're buying it for a reason. And that's okay if that's right. what your goal is. I mean, that's not a bad thing if you want to just get it gone and get it done and get it out of your hair. But if you're trying to maximize your value, it may or may not be the best one. Okay. People are more attached to their personal belongings in their house all the time. So they sometimes allow their stuff to take priority over their house. And what we see is I have a lady right now that I've been in dialogue with for a while. She has two houses, one in Bethany and one in Edmond. Both of them are being used as storage facilities. One of them has a mortgage on it, and she's not living in either one of them. They are very expensive storage facilities. And the longer they sit there empty, the less value they have because just like a vehicle, if you're not using the utilities regularly, using the water regularly, things break, things tear down. When in one house, rodents have gotten in and there's rodent stuff throughout the house. So you guys get my drift, right? Um, so just, you know, I just tell people, if you're a family member and you've got someone that you're helping move into a senior community, Put a timeline on it as a family together, make a decision. So they say, okay, we're going to hang on to the house for six months or however long, whatever makes sense. And then if I haven't moved home by then, chances are I'm not moving back to that house. It doesn't mean you may not still move someplace else. It just means that house may not make sense. Well, we've got another client also that's literally just said, well, I'm going to keep my house in the storage because I'm going to move into a smaller unit and into a larger unit. And so I'm going to just hang on to the house for storage. And he goes, that's cheaper than having a storage building someplace. And I, I said, well, it's not. And let me explain to you why. So how much is insurance? Let's say it's $125 a month. How much are utilities? Well, they're about $200 a month. It's, it's well, it's a bigger old tax. house. So it's a little bit more. And then how much are taxes, which are another $150 a month. And I started going through those things, and I said, what if your AC goes out? Or your roof gets What if your roof gets, I mean, I look at that and go, you could be out 10 grand or 15 grand for your storage unit versus $150 a month. 
how many years can you keep that stuff in storage at $150 a month for, you know, 10 grand? Okay, so here are just a few bonus truths. I'll go through these really quickly and then we're going to take questions. The county assessor, you can look it up online or you've received your tax statement and it'll tell you that your house is valued from this to this. And in some cases they're fairly accurate, in many cases they're not. What happens is the county assessor has not seen the inside of your house. And so as compared to other sales, they're giving you a range um, that they're hoping to give you some sort of accuracy, but it's not, a, it's not a, an exact science in, the, in any way, shape, or form. The same is true of Zillow or any other online service that you use. They have something called a Zestimate, and I think, Chris, did you say they were the first company to ever be sued? They're the only company I'm aware that's been sued for overvaluing property. Because people were going on there and say, oh, my house is worth this amount, and in fact it wasn't, and so they sued Zillow because they felt like that was they overshot their expectations. advertising or whatever. But buyers will go on to Zillow to look to see what they think they should offer you. And again, that's not accurate either. So what we do again is a reporting system to try to get as close as we can to the actual value everybody agrees on. And just a, a, a two minutes of about two minutes, 30 seconds of background. Zillow gets their information on what's active. Zillow does not get their information on what things sell for. So they may get a price point of what was active, but not what it would actually sold for. Makes a big difference. And it just skews their numbers. And, and they've tried to do some adjustments, but it's not very good. Truly, it is the other one you left off there, which is actually just part of Zillow. Yeah. So the last uh, item on here is thanks to the internet, real estate agents are no longer geographically bound to an area. So when I started selling in 1991, I kind of had this map and I a line around it and that's where I worked because that's where I knew schools and that's what I knew about neighborhoods and that's where I knew how to find things and so on and so forth. With the internet it's really opened it up to where you know we sell houses in Norman, we sell houses in Guthrie, we sell houses in El Reno, we sell houses in the Midwest City. Realtors in, by and large uh, can sell a house pretty much anywhere I would recommend outside of their multiple listing service area because that's where our pool of houses come from. But they can. We can sell. We can sell a house in the Panhandle because we're licensed in the state of Oklahoma. That doesn't mean we should, right? Does that make All sense? All those wonderful cabins in Beaver. But yeah, not not interested. It's done work for us. If you called us and said, "Hey, will you sell my cabin in uh, in Rokenbo, I would say no because it wouldn't be best for you, right, for me to do that. So, real estate agents, you have to ask yourself the question. Uh, if you're in the Oklahoma City Metro and you hire a real estate agent, it's not about whether they can or can't do it. It's about whether or not it's convenient for you, cost effective for them, and if it makes sense, do you have a good fit with that agent? So there's lots of questions to ask. And it used to be, how many houses have you sold in my neighborhood? It used to be a valid question. It's really not anymore. I mean, we sell 100 houses a year, give or take, and it, they're spread out all over the place, probably not more than one or two in any given neighborhood. Does that make sense? We have a listing in Choctaw. Yeah. And, and, and she actually asked me, she goes, well, am I at a disservice because you're not from here? I'm like, people aren't looking at who's listing the house. They're looking at the house yeah. and saying, is this what I want? Is this in the area that I want? So it's not a disservice for agents to yeah. know the service area. I got to know what's out there. I got to understand the market. And I do. The one thing you have to be conscientious of, and I'll say this, and we'll take questions, that is, with the internet, the reason agents can do 
do this more cost-effectively is because of digital signatures. They can email you a document and you can click and sign. Most of our clients are pen and paper clients. They're not getting their information on the internet and clicking a button. They want to meet knee-to-knee -knee and toe-to-toe. So we do that, and a lot of agents still do. Uh, but there are some agents out there that will tell you they only do digital signatures. They may never even meet you face to face. So you have to ask lots of questions about how does that agent do business. And if you aren't a computer techie person, then you probably don't want an agent who just does business using digital signatures, okay? So just questions to ask. It doesn't make the agent good or bad. It's just how they do business it has to fit with how you do business, okay? When we're under contract and service okay. We see each other a lot more than you want to see. <laughs> yeah, we, but we make friends with our friends. Yeah. Okay, so this is just a, a Q&A time. We've got about, I don't know, 20 minutes or so, 25 minutes. And you can ask any question. There's no question off limits. If we can't answer it or don't feel like it's in our scope, we'll ask one of our sponsors or get it to you. Also, on your evaluation, there's a blank there. Some people don't like to speak in public, and that's fine. If you have a question and you don't want to ask it or we don't answer it as a part of the dialogue, you can write it down there and it says unanswered questions or it says write them on the back. Just flip the eval over and write down what you want to know and then make sure your contact information on there. Somebody will call you and in the next few days and answer the question for you. Okay? All right. If you'd like to go first, I'll repeat the question uh, when I hear it and then we'll go from there. Yes, ma'am. Yes. You see signs there, we buy ugly houses, or any along those lines, they're, they're marketing to buy your home. Yes, that is absolutely an investor. And they're looking at it for one of two things. They're looking at it either to buy for themselves to hold for their inventory, or they're looking to buy and flip the house. So with that in mind, they've got a formula. We actually have a friend who owns a We Buy Ugly Houses franchise. It's a franchise thing. And he goes, there's a whole formula about it. And I don't remember the exact numbers, but it was somewhere in the neighborhood of about 35 cents on the dollar is what they want to pay to make their investment return the way they want. Now, some of you may go, why would anybody do that? Well, let me tell you who they're looking for. They're looking for people who need cash now, they need to be easy, and they don't need the money necessarily. So think about that. Someone here in Oklahoma City owns a house, passes away, their kids live in California or New York or wherever, and the kids get together and go, well, we don't want that house. Get rid of it. The realtor goes in and says, it's an as-is house. It's going to need a lot of work if you want to flip it or make money on it. And the kids go, just get rid of it. They don't care what the amount of money is. So what happens is they don't actually talk to a realtor. They get a phone call when they see that you're a probate in the newspaper. Probate's a good target. Probate is a good target. The person died. The house is not in trust. So it comes up in the paper. The we buy the houses and other investors like them will call the personal representative. In some cases, it's an attorney. In some cases, it's an individual. And they'll say, we notice you have a property in Oklahoma City that's empty. We'd like to buy it. We'd like to offer you cash, closing in two weeks, no closing costs. Here's our offer, sight unseen in many cases. And the, the seller, uh, in the case of this owner, takes it. Because guess what? They're done. It's convenient and they're out of it. Yeah. Now, to give you a perfect example, our, our I hate calling her our old broker. Our, our former broker. Our former broker. <laughs> She actually had a condo in Dallas and has had it for 
40 years probably. Had that movie screen. Yeah. She's had it a very, very long time. And, and she was done. Her tenant finally moved out because she never raised rent on it the last 25 years and just wanted it gone. Her son said, you know what, I might buy that. I think. So he wouldn't look at it because I'm not buying that. And she goes, I don't even want to mess with it. So she sold it to an investor along those same lines. And it was just a matter of money. She even said herself, she said, I probably left money on the table, but I don't she, care. She didn't say probably. She goes, I know I left money on the table, and I was done. And she was in real estate most of her adult life. Oh, she's so, probably been licensed right. yeah. in multiple states for 50 years. So it different people do it for different reasons. Yeah. Right. You had a question back then? I just wanted to ask, who ranked the real Great question. Okay, so the first question was who regulates the real estate industry? And then what was the second part? What, uh, the percentage of your Commissions. Commission. Is that pretty standard across the Good question. Is the, is the commission standard and how is the real estate industry regulated? Let's start with the first So question. the industry as far as Oklahoma is concerned is regulated by the Oklahoma Real Estate Commission. Oh, right. That's, so that's step one. Underneath that, if you're working with a realtor, we are we are members of a national association in which we have a code that is to follow. Not every real estate agent is a realtor. So, so some auctioneers, um, some people that are just doing business for themselves may not be a part of the National Association of Realtors. They're just so, licensed. So therefore, they don't fall under that code that makes an answer to the association. But, but if you're selling property for somebody else for somebody else, and you're not an attorney handling a case of some sort, you must be licensed under the Real Estate Commission of Oklahoma. And then we're also members of the Oklahoma Metropolitan Association of Realtors who organizes and runs our multiple listing service. So the multiple listing service is used to be reserved only for real estate uh, realtors. And now they opened it up. There are, there are some exceptions following certain yeah. rules. But so, and to your answer on the question of yeah. fees, there is no such fee. Uh, because the antitrust, we can't set a fee. If we all set a fee, we would all be in trouble. It's called price fixing. Yeah, so it'd be price fixing and antitrust. So. so to give you kind of a rule of thumb, uh, what we see nationally, which trickles down to Oklahoma generally, is a range. And so in a typical range for a typical house in, in a moderate price point, anywhere from uh, five to seven percent commission, with six being kind of the norm, if you will, or average bell curve, you know. Five percent, so there are companies out there that do what they call limited service agreements. And so they may charge someone less, maybe even as much as, as little as four percent. Or, or charge a flat, or a flat fee. fee plus a selling realtor percentage. So here, let me give you the bigger picture. Here's how it breaks down. Some people don't know this, some people already know. So is when a real estate agent, let's say like if we were doing this or a realtor who's affiliated with a brokerage, okay? Is the broker makes the fee, that's who earns the fee. So let's say it's Keller Williams or Remax or Don C's or whoever it is. And so they, they make the commission then that real estate agent who's the representative of that client makes a percentage of that. So let's say the fee was 6%, the company, uh, there's two realtors involved. So somebody from Remax or somewhere sells a listing that we have, those real estate agents split that commission half and half or not. It could be any split. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It could be half and half, it could be not. 
And so let's say, for the sake of argument, it's half. So 3%, 3%. Now my company is going to take their percentage of my 3%. And their company is going to take their percentage of their 3%. And every one of us out there has a different arrangement with our brokerage. There is no norm. Some people are on 100%, some people are on 50%, some people are on anything in between. So there's no way to know that. It doesn't really matter to the seller, but here's what can matter to you, is if I'm a realtor and I know that the industry expects to get paid X amount of dollars when they sell one of my properties, and I offer less than that to the agents, they may not want to show that property. They may have a client for it, but say, I'm not showing that property because this realtor is not offering enough compensation. So we're, we're always very above board. We want to make sure that whoever we're representing is getting a fair shake, and most realtors are that way. There are only a few out there that do it the other way, where they don't offer. They try to keep more than they give. Does that make sense? And you're mainly talking about full service. Full service. Because if you get into limited service, which is what we're talking about, the flat fee plus a percentage generally, is that they're going to pay a flat fee up front. They're going to go ahead and put it in MLS. And from there, you're going to deal with everything. You're going to get the phone calls from us that says, hey, we want to show it. They're going to, they're going to bring you the contract and hand it to you to sign here. Or read you're, it. Or read it, it figure it out, whatever. But it's, it's, a, it's a limited service agreement. And that will be disclosed, so you'll understand that. But that's the lesser way to go, but it also comes with lesser service and, and little to no representation on your side. So if, if you meet with a realtor, or more than one realtor, however you do it, and they can't explain to you by drawing out the commission structure and how it works, and explain to you how much money they're making at the end of the day, you probably should move on, okay? But at the end of the day, what all most people ask is how much am I paying? And the answer to that is anywhere from 4 to 7% on the, the sales price. And the other question you might want to ask is what's typical for the buyer's agent to earn and what are you offering? Right. Because as a seller, you really have little control over that, and nor is it disclosed, and it should be. It really should be. And it'll say in the, in the listing agreement that, that the, the broker has permission to share commissions, et cetera. But most people don't even ask about it. Um, so, good question. Did we answer it sufficiently? Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Good question. What home improvements actually do have best return on investment? It depends.
all the things that the new home had in it. So in that case, the best investment might be granite countertops or quartz or something like that. Neutral color, today's trends. New faucets, new fixtures, new knobs, maybe painted cabinets. How many of you have had, currently have natural wood cabinets? Raise your hand. I do too, yeah. How many of you like the painted, that have wood, like the painted? A few, okay. Most people who like natural wood don't like painted. And so what happens is if you go in and you redo a kitchen and you think, oh, I've done everything, but your cabinets are still natural wood, then that might have been a positive upgrade to do. But it's hard to know until we've been in your house. You want to add to that appliances. You want to add appliances. You look at appliances a good thing now. Upgrading heat bigger, upgrading windows, uh, those are the two big ones that we see that are very expensive to do at no value. Fire expects to have windows, they expect to have heat and air. As long as it works, leave it alone. Exactly. Okay. Wood floors versus carpet. Wood floors versus carpet. Again, it depends on that price point of the house and it depends on what's so, going on in your area that, that people like. I would give you a rule of thumb for hard surface versus soft surface. Heavy traffic areas, hard surface. Wet areas, hard surface. Bedrooms, carpet. carpet. A house that's completely tile is usually not going to do well. I mean, literally like completely tile. Because most people do want some soft surfaces in some part of the house. Uh, but if somebody's got allergies and they've tiled their whole house or put wood floors in, they have a reason for doing that, right? And it makes total sense, but it can affect somebody's purchasing um, decisions. Um, bathrooms and kitchens, the countertops, the cabinets, the toilets, the sinks, the fixtures, that kind of thing, right? Here's what happens is somebody goes, oh, um, we had a pipe burst and we're going to redo the tile in the bathroom. And they put really beautiful brand new tile in the bathroom floor, but they don't do the surround and the shower. So now you've got mix and match. Or they've done a tile in the bathroom that meets the hallway tile that's different. And, and that's, yeah. so that would say, when you start talking to us about updating the house, our, our, our biggest concern, or my biggest concern, is where do you start and where do you stop? Yeah. Because once you start in a corner, you kind of stuck with how far do I go with this? Because I can walk into your house and you can say, I think we should do that. And I said, well, great. And then this would be next, and this would be next, and then and at some don't point, do that. you're going to kick me out of the house because I told you too much to do. So and that's the challenge with the whole it depends. And so here's let's talk about. And by the way, I want to remind you, I we I didn't think about this till after the fact that we did a talk several months ago on selling your house as is. Do we have those flyers back there on you, or did we put them on the tables? Okay, so we did a talk on selling your home as is, and what we talk about in there is the swing, right? So if your house, if you, if you, somebody bought your house as is today, and it's, uh, say, let's just use even numbers, hundred thousand dollars, they bought it as is, and they fixed it up, what could they sell it for? Okay, you fix it up, what could you sell it for? Let's say if you fixed it up, you did everything possible to it, and you could sell it for 150 but it costs you 50 to do it, is that a worthwhile investment? Oh, right, let me, let me give you an example of what, what I'm gonna deal with tomorrow. 
We're, I'm meeting with a client tomorrow, lives in a historic neighborhood, and I'm saying, you know, the condition your house is in, it's 500. That's kind of what I would think we would sell for. Only because of the neighborhood. But it's a, you're looking at nearly a 100-year-old house. And, and he goes, well, but I've seen houses sell for higher. I said, you're right. If we update it and bring everything up to the current styles and trends, this is what you're looking at. You're looking at maybe 700. Now, does that not perk up your ears? That's $200,000 between what I can sell up here and what I can sell up there. And then I looked at it and I go, okay, so we're, we're gonna meet and kind of walk through and do numbers tomorrow. My, my estimation just from my gut from seeing it for the few minutes I've seen it, is we're looking at $100,000 in six to nine months. If so, he's moved out. If he's moved out, which he's, he's already got, he's, okay. he's moving out. He's already lost, he's, he's made all sorts of plans. So he moves out by June, we get the house July 1st, let's say. And we're looking at six to nine months. So let's say it's back on the market by April 1 of next year. And he spent $100,000. So there's time and money cost in that. Now, is he gonna manage it and play GC, general contractor for it, or is he gonna hire one? Because if he's gonna hire one, that's gonna increase his cost by 20%. And so you start looking at that, and you start looking at the cost at the end. When we get done, his net may be forty or fifty thousand dollars difference. But my question to him will be: So is it worth what you're looking at going through over the next year to make forty or fifty thousand dollars more? And if you don't do these types of remodels and this work all the time, because I mentioned to him one of the first things I said is I said we're probably going to want to get an architect involved. That's step one. And so you start working back from there, and that's really where you start looking at your cost and go, is it worth my time, energy, and effort? Now, at the same point, when I made the comment about taking the shine, he says, I'll just go to Peru and look at Dunlop gone. I said, no, dude, you're going to be there every day. I, I don't know the GC that I would just say, hey, do the project, I'll see you later, I hope it gets done right. And it just it doesn't work that way. So it's going to come down to his value of over time and money for what he may recoup. Now let's back that down. Let's go back down to that $100,000 price point and say you only got the 20 in it to recoup 40. So you're gonna make $10,000, $12,000 more by doing it. And it's carbon paint. Yeah, and it's simple. We can knock it out in less than 30 days. You may go, let's do that. So the, when you start looking at the dichotomy of where we could go from one and the other for this is totally different. And it all depends on the neighborhood. It completely depends on the neighborhood. So it also depends on, remember back to the very beginning of our talk, and I went over those five different reasons people sell and move, right? If you're a needs or crisis person, we're not doing that with your house. No. Now your kids may awesome. want to do it, or a friend may want to do it, but you're probably not going to want to do it. If you're an anticipatory person and you think, gosh, I'm going to move to a community or I'm going to move into a garden home at Whispering Creek next year, and you can do it in phases, right? Assuming you can do the work and live there. And live there. You're not remodeling your kitchen and all that. So people ask us all the time, can you sell as is? The answer is, look at me, yes, yeah. you can. You do not have to do anything to your house to sell it today but we would have to price it accordingly right everything is about price okay next question sorry we kind of went on 
and then pay that loan off as soon as the house is sold. Now, if you do that, you need to be really upfront with your real estate agent. You need to say, I want this house sold in X period of time. And what is it going to take to do that? Because realtors are very optimistic people by nature. We want to get you the highest price possible. They, that's the really the truth. The truth is, realtors really want to get you the most money. And so sometimes they'll overshoot the price, right, in hopes that they can get it. And if, you, if you're watching the market and you're tracking the numbers and it hasn't sold in a period of time and you're not getting a lot of activity, then it's time to reduce it quickly. A lot of people go, oh, we'll reduce it in three months, or I'll wait till my listing expires to reduce the price. That's crazy. We know within two weeks if that house is priced right. Two weeks, max. And in two weeks, if it's not priced right, we're not getting good activity, we're not getting feedback, we're not getting showings, or we haven't gotten an offer, and this is in a normal price range, then we're probably reducing the price. If it's in a higher price range, we know it's gonna sit longer, so the reduction may take a little longer, okay? But we have people right now that I know have a house on the market in over a million. Started at 1.4 something. They'd stayed on the market a year. Went down to 1.1. It's been on the market now for almost six months now. They reduced it by 200,000. I mean, come on, give me a break. If you're going to reduce the price and get under a million, the house is worth 850, seven to 850. Yes, closer to seven. They started at 1.4, you guys. That house is going to sit there forever. And here's the standard thing I hear people say, especially men. They'll say, well, let someone make an offer. Just let them make an offer. You know what, guys? People won't make offers anymore on houses that are so far out. Well, they, don't, they can't they even just, make an offer because a $700,000 buyer is not looking at a $1.1 million dollar house. Just as a $125,000 buyer is not looking at a $200,000 right. house. They don't even know any, it's there. Any good realtor out there is going to say, no, that's way, that's way out of your price range. Right. Not to mention, if you were a buyer and you said, I want to buy at 150 and I'm your realtor and I keep bringing you things that are 250 how long are you going to play with me? Because I'm not meeting your needs. So you've got to understand that we've got to be able to satisfy the buyers and close. Max, I, I think, is, are you going to argue with me about that? I think 5%? I could have So 5%. So if you're going to price your house over list price, over sales price, not more than about 5%. In, in the higher price point you go, the less, less over. 5%. It's okay to take full price for your house. It really is okay. We recommend it. If, if you price it right, you and you've got a neighborhood that's selling, it will sell quickly. Matter of fact, it may sell quickly with multiple offers. Is that okay? Yeah. We sold a house over the weekend. We're on the market Thursday night. We had three offers by Friday afternoon. And on Saturday, they signed the second offer which was full price. The third offer. The third offer. With full price, asking a little bit of closing costs, but essentially was a $4,000 reduction in list price. That was the most that they came off of it. Okay. And, and that was the best offer, the, the first offer. Last offer. Absolutely. In an area where you price it right, or even a little under market, in, in where the, there's no inventory. Right, in the right areas we do. In some areas, there are buyers that are scrambling to get that house. And so we'll get, I think, what was that house on Plymouth's house? Was, we had 12 we had, Yeah, we had, I think we had, when it was all said and done, you, you, you 
because of the way we strategized it, I think we had eight ballot offers to present. Ballot offers. We had 11 offers come in and people backed out before. And how much ballot. over list did it sell for? Our initial over list was 40 was 30,000 over. We ended up selling it for 20 over. Um, but we told him that's what was going to happen because we knew that he was worried it wasn't going to sell. And, and he's one of our only clients that we looked at him and said, I understand you're worried and concerned, and I will guarantee you'll right. net Guarantee. It was like a guaranteed sell. We would buy it. I, I would have bought it for what his net was before he had to have all day long and been way ahead. And that's how we knew that the area was going to he ended up so much better off. I don't want to honor your time, so I want to say a couple of housekeeping items before you leave. If you'd like to come to next month's seminar, we'd love to have you here. We're going to really talk about the difference between what home health is and what in-home private duty care is. What the costs are, how it works, how you get it, how it's paid for, all that. So get registered for that. Um, Please turn your eval into Jim back in the back when you leave. You wear a purple shirt. And Anya back here has a handout I mentioned earlier. Did they make copies for us, Anya? Oh, that was mine. So the as is handout is back there. You can pick it up if you want it. And the 10 steps to downsizing handout is back there. And I know several of our sponsors have handouts, so be sure to pick those up. So did you guys get value today? Thank you. 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 Thank you.